Welcome back to the OGs. I'm Don Pobia, joined as always by cross-country traveling Kyle Bunch. Uh, new background, if you will. He's uh, set there in California doing some visiting following his uh, month of excitement in Texas. Kyle, what's going on? How's the weather out there? Uh, things are things are nice. It's a little cool, but it's beautiful and sunny. I've got my uh, my nice portrait in the background with some seagulls to just you know bring bring some spring uh, vibe into this whole thing. Is this a hotel room or a guest room? What are we working with here? This is this is uh, today's brought to you by Airbnb by a by a solid Airbnb super host in Laguna Niguel, California. So Be- beautiful. Well, speaking of California, we're joined by guests this week, as always. Uh, Sid Ziegler in out in California, out in LA, by way of New England. How are you doing, Sid? What's up, man? I'm looking at seventy degrees and sun at nine thirty in the morning. I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's got cold here too. Uh, last week was like sunny. It's like 65, 70 degrees. I'm outside running in shorts and now I'm wearing my, you know, my, my, my goose, uh, my goose jacket here. But Sid, thanks for joining. Sid is an author, a blogger, an advocate, uh, a cat dad. Sid, did I miss anything? Uh, I, I also have been married essentially for 18 years, so that's uh, that's a thing in the gay community. All right, husband. Well, gay community. Sid is the founder, co-founder, editor uh, of OutSports, um, one of the leading, well, should be the leading uh, LGBTQ. Did I miss anything? I'm good with LGBTQ. <laughs> community uh and it's been a big part of uh, what we do i remember something you are you're a referee too are you still an official a football official yeah division three in nca now so then the sky act southern california's d3 conference beautiful um said a lot of what we do is we go through the trajectory of our guest's career uh but you've been doing out sports for about 21 years and it seems well at least according to linkedin that's that's all you've been doing for 21 years has that been pretty steady your 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 main gig for all this time uh you know i i, I do other little side gigs and, and some some freelance writing but you know being able to do what we do at out sports they're really isn't anybody else who's doing it and probably nobody else who would pay me to do it. So, um, and I, and I love it. You know, I've thought about you know, becoming a, a football writer or some, or, or focusing on something else, but I just love writing about the, the topics that we get to write about. And, and they're, they're central to today's society. Awesome. Did you feel, um, you said you might want to dip your toe. You seem to be enjoying it, but did you ever figure at some point, maybe you got pigeonholed into it or, uh, have you just really embraced it overall? It's a good question. I, I think it's probably a combination of the two. It is what I'm passionate about. When I wake up in the morning, it's why I'm excited for the day. There are very few days where I struggle to get out of bed. I, I, I get out of bed with energy and uh, because I've got, I've got something to do. I've got a story to tell. I've got a project to work on that's going to help somebody. And it's focusing my writing on NFL or college football or the NBA or or other issues. Uh, I, I I don't think that it would bring me the same joy. And I'm not really driven by money. Uh, I I need to make a living, and if I'm able to make a living and do what I want and do what I'm passionate about, that's what I want to do. So, you know, it would be tough for me to break into, I think, another area right now, but I also don't really want to. 
Unless I'm mistaken, too, I think it's been pretty much you and Jim from the get-go. I mean, have you brought other contributors on along the way, or the two of you just really rode this thing out for a while? So we got acquired by Vox Media, which owns SB Nation, oh, about eight years ago. And two years ago, they made an investment in Outsports because they believe in what we're doing. So we brought in a managing editor. Her name is Don Ennis. She's a trans woman who lives in Connecticut. Alex Reamer, who used to be at WEI, he is our deputy managing editor. And then we have a couple of contributors. So yeah, they, they've made an investment. We've been able to elevate a lot of what we do, diversify a lot of what we do at Outsports, tell a bunch of different stories from a bunch of different angles. So over the last two years, it's been a, a staff of a number of people. Was it difficult letting go of your baby a little bit and bringing these other you know editor types on? Because... Uh, you know, I know that can sometimes be difficult. I mean, has it kept really your your objectives and your view and your goal from the beginning? Has, has all that remained pretty much in the vision that you and Jim had put forth originally? Of course, there's struggles there. People come in with different visions. Unquestionably, there is going to be every single time. And there are debates and there are, there are arguments and there continue to be. Different people have different visions for what we do. My vision for Outsports is focusing on uh, positive stories and inclusion, uh, but it's also difficult to do that being an LGBTQ sports site, uh, to, to do that entirely right now, given how much the trans community and trans athletes are being attacked. And I like to stay away from politics, but politics are intertwined with that today. So there's been lots of debates about those things. In terms of the the different voices in that community, right? It's not a monolithic community, obviously. Um, do you feel that that's helped uh, the overall um, acceptance, growth, particularly in the sports space, or as these trans issues, for instance, are, are really bubbling to the surface now? Um, has that helped raise all ships, or have the divergent interests uh, kind of drive, driven a wedge into some of the things? So a couple of things. The acceptance of lesbians and gays, men in sports, is way beyond the credit that anybody gives athletes and, and sports in general and coaches. We're doing a study right now with the University of Winchester and the Sports Equality Foundation surveying athletes who have come out on their teams, who have actually come out. And, and, and it reflects a lot of what we've known for, uh, for years. We now have quantitative data that's going to show that athletes are afraid to come out, but when they come out, they're embraced by their teammates. The trans issue is different from sexual orientation. I mean, sexual orientation is, 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 is uh, becoming widely accepted. I mean, uh, Same-sex marriage is accepted by like 70% of Americans today, which is the highest it's ever been. The trans athlete issue, you get into the, how do we define women's sports? How do we define uh, fairness and 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 what advantages are fair and unfair. So it has opened up a completely different conversation than, oh, that guy might look at my dick in the shower. This is completely different from having a gay guy on the team. Do you, how do you, and I know this is a big question, but how do you see a lot of this playing out as far as it seems like the type of thing that can be divisive in any room, in any group. There's not like there's people trying to be supportive, but it's a, it's just a 
it's not a black a black and white issue that divides across normal lines. Is that is that fair to say? Do you see some of that within your readership and community? So the trans debate, unfortunately, is being hijacked by two sides. One side says that all trans athletes should be able to just declare their trans and compete in women's sports tomorrow. The other side says no trans person should ever be able to compete uh, as the as the gender they think they are. So no trans woman or trans girl should ever be able to compete in, in women's or girls sports. I am much more about finding the common ground and figuring out how to build a path to inclusion because people are just flat out lying when they say that a trans woman cannot fairly compete in women's sports or a trans girl cannot fairly compete in girls sports. It's just, it's just a lie. And that is really hurting the conversation that people are real, just really uneducated about what it is to be trans and what it is to transition and what it, the, the, the unbelievable um, physical changes that happen when, when trans women transition. Where, uh, you mentioned um, trans women. Uh, is there any conversation on the flip side about trans men uh, competing in men's sports? Yeah, there, there are uh, a number of men who are competing at elite level sports. Chris Mosier is a do athlete, which is uh, biking and running. It's triathlon, but moving swimming. And he's, he has, as a trans man, competed in men's world championships multiple times because, um, yeah, and uh, you have. Uh, uh, you don't uh, seem to have the outrage, though, the public outrage uh, going in that direction. Do you, do you see that? No, there's none. <laughs> right, right, which seems hypocritical. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's hypocritical. Um, you know, it just hasn't been deemed a wedge issue by politicians. And so they haven't raised a stink about it. And, you know, the conversation there is, um, you know, how much testosterone can you take without it becoming an unfair advantage? You know, at some point you could raise your testosterone levels and take a bunch of steroids and it become unfair. We have trans bodybuilders, we have trans boxers competing in men's sports. So that is a, a conversation that is being had and, and has to be looked at, but, it, but you know, you don't have the images that you have of trans men competing in men's sports aren't as maybe, um, um, I don't know. It, it doesn't, don't jump out at you the way that when you have a, frankly, a six foot two woman running in a race against other women who are five foot something. This is the argument. I mean, particularly, okay, well, I was just going to say, I mean, you said, so you said it in there. I mean, ultimately it's that combination of imagery and politic, perfect political wedge issue where you can get into a much, much bigger topic, but just using sports as this, this way in. And it even, you know, I was talking to a friend about, performance science in America and how much of what we know is, you know, goes back to this sort of cold war doping, like a, a lot of what, you know, what came into performance enhancing drugs was like this showdown, you know, between East and West. Um, so you're tapping like all of these different emotions, but, but it is really a political wedge issue in, in the, going back to what you said of the polarization of it becomes a, a lot of people that are made a lot, seemingly a lot less concerned with the athletic purity of, sport than 
just using this as a way to, you know, drive their side in a cultural conversation. Most of the people arguing against trans women and women's sports and claiming that we need to protect women's sports uh, have never watched women's sports. They don't care about women's sports. They care about the NBA and the NFL. And uh, this has simply become a rallying cry. Uh, and they really don't care about women or women's sports. So it's just a total ruse. Now, there are real conversations that need to be had. This is a real issue. And it, we really have to look at it from medical perspective, uh, equality, all kinds of different issues. This is not to say this is some easy issue, but the idea that you know, allowing a trans woman, if she's gone through a transition to compete in women's sports, I mean, no trans woman has ever dominated any women's sports. And there have been a number who have been in women's sports and they simply have not dominated sport. They've, some of them have done very well, but none of them have dominated their sport. In this in this climate, how do you how do you think we do get to having any sort of informed conversation when it's just so easy to just jump to the polls? That, that seems to be the the common theme with whatever issue that we're talking about is how do we get to that real substantive conversation? I think talking to people and then finding a common ground. So, for example, I'll take you through an exercise. So. I'm going to try to find points of agreement for us. So were the three of us in agreement uh, that a 28-year-old trans woman should not be able to, on April 4th, declare she's trans with no transition, and on April 5th, compete for a spot on the women's Olympic team or play in the WNBA? At 28 years old, a woman should not simply be able to announce that she's trans and the next day compete as a woman. Are, are, are we in agreement that that is not particularly fair. Yes, definitely. Right. Are we also in agreement that an eight-year-old should be able to, on April 4th, say that she is a trans girl, and on April 5th, compete in girls' sports? An eight-year-old. A little trickier. I'm not sure. Why is that tricky? The differences between well, I think the other part is I think I think that at that age it's it's a lot of um, co-ed anyway. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone's exactly. yeah pretty much on the same level. You know, um, I mean, I, I have a good friend of ours. Uh, her her two daughters wrestle, and they're you know nine years old and like seven years old, but they wrestle with the boys, right? But it's not saying it's just because lack of options, I guess, at that age. But if most sports are co-ed, what would be the big issue of a trans girl playing on a girls team? I don't think there would be. I think the bigger the bigger issue is is going back to, I think, what you described, which is those scare tactics, right? On the first example that you gave, where I think, you know, I think that's that's the scenario that everyone's putting in their mind, right? Anybody can declare their gender, declare who they are, what they are, and say they are. And, you know, we have to accept that as a society. So that 28-year-old, right, I think those are the scare tactics that probably the opposition is taking is that, you know, what's stopping this 28 year old male from saying he's a female and walking into, you know, a girl's locker room. Um, on the other side, I think the scare tactics are, um, you know, gender identity and, and these things for eight year olds, you know, declaring. And, and is that coming from, 
uh, a parent's perspective, uh, some sort of other influence, or is that, you know, where the child is at that age? Uh, again, I'm not taking sides. I think those are kind of those polar opinions that, you know, I tend to hear at least. So did you have a third? This is the point of the exercise. Okay. Forget about eight years old. How about five years old? Is there an issue with a trans girl? Is there a competitive issue with a five-year-old trans girl playing on a girl's team? A competitive issue? No, no way. Right. It's not a competitive issue. Again, it's a political issue of, of it's, politicizing it's a, it's these children. Right. Exactly. Some circumstances and others, like, like you're saying, I mean, we, we wouldn't have even noticed any difference. Somebody, you know, yeah. Same, same co-ed so, team that my daughter was on, you know. My point so, is focusing on competitive fairness. We can both we can agree that the 28-year-old is a no, and we can agree that the five-year-old is a no, yes. Right, no competitive. So, so we have points of agreement. Right. Now, where we fall in the middle, at what point do you need to have hormone therapy? If you never start male puberty, if you have puberty blockers, so you never start male puberty, uh, you know, w- w- that, that middle ground is what we should be talking about. Not all yes or all no. Yeah. Well, I, I think then the other issue is, is the pu- puberty blocker issue, right? Is, you know, whose decision at what age can one make that decision? But, but, uh, but I just take a step back and say, uh, trying to get to the, having a conversation, it quickly gets into some very specific details that a lot of people that have a you know have an opinion in some moments don't know understand any of this to under like and don't have any intention to get into understanding puberty blockers and the different paths that someone might take to being trans right I no no interest in learning or hearing the other side and having a conversation like we're having right now is the the biggest issue right there's there's okay. just these these extreme um you know, uh, stakes in the ground and, and, you know, how do you get to that point? I think that was the original question, right? How do we get to the, to the point? And I think it's tough when, when it's politicized by people, uh, with large microphones and, and, and big bully pulpits. Are there plan? Is there anybody actively putting forward a, here's our middle ground proposal, or here's a starting off place that says these three things should kind of be the, the core how we judge and how we establish whether or not somebody should be eligible, Sid? Yeah, there are different people putting out different um, proposals. So one is a working group of mostly women, including Nancy Hogshead, who is an Olympic gold medalist. Martina Navratilova is in this group. Other women who have been presidents of the Women's Sports Foundation. And they, uh, they want a path to inclusion for every trans girl. Um, and... Uh, up until there are essentially the proposals up until puberty, it doesn't matter. You can transition on April 4th and play on April 5th. Once once male puberty starts, and that's what they call it, uh, then there has to be some kind of hormonal transition period. And what that transition period they don't define, could be six months, could be a year, but, but they think that a 16-year-old needs to have some period before they go racing against girls. And then they, they, they further uh, mostly endorse the IOC and the NCAA policies that, again, create a period of, I think it's one year and two years or something like that of transition. So they put that out there. Other people say, yes, well, we agree with the IOC policy and the NCAA policy, but we think that trans girls in high school should, should be able to 
at free will compete in girls sports. So there are different middle grounds being put out there, but the, yeah. Fair. Um, on the flip side, one of the first events, well, I think the first one you came up to Toronto with us, uh, did a panel, but um, there after you've done a couple, maybe three, I think, if I'm counting correctly. Um, but the one that you did with uh, Christina Carl um, in a conversation and a big thing I felt that you were speaking to the audience is, hey, you guys are journalists, you guys are bloggers, you guys have a voice here. Um, ask questions. If you need help, if, if you need help um, understanding or articulating Christina and I are here to answer your questions. Um, in let's say the last eight years or so, uh, has the media's coverage, sports media maybe specifically, um, gotten better uh, in regard to understanding the issue, or are they, you know, more spouting? Uh, I guess the the talking points that you know both sides are taking. Sports writers don't want to write about this stuff. They want to write about Tom Brady and LeBron James and the, the, the Bucks Jazz score. That's what they want to write about. They don't want to write about this. They don't want to write about race. They want to write about gender. They don't want to. We must live in different Twitter circles because I feel like everyone wants to <laughs> take a cultural approach to everything really? and, and have an opinion. Yeah. No? Well, they're not writing about this. Yeah. That's for sure. So they clearly don't want to. Because there's plenty to write about. And, and when they do write about it, it's generally admonishing Tom Brenneman for getting caught saying a slur on a hot mic. And, right. and, and, uh, and Justin Thomas, you know, uh, chastising him when he, when he comes back and wins, wins a tournament after doing the same thing. So there's very little real exploration of these issues going on. Oh yeah, I, I think at most it's it's you'll get some signal boosting when there is something negative and and derogatory towards the, you know some some prominent name dismissing the notion of of trans athletes or some other aspect of a conversation in this it'll it'll echo a bit. There might be you know some other empty but covering the stories. I don't think there's a lot of mainstream oxygen available. Right. Or Frankly, the, the, the media continues to put forward this notion that sports are homophobic. And I, I know this because when I get interviewed by people in the media, for the most part, at the end of the interview, I will point out to them that they are part of the problem, that the questions they ask me are the struggles that gay athletes face, uh, the homophobia that exists, the fear that they have for coming out, instead of asking me about the incredible joy that athletes feel when they come out, the opportunities to get endorsement deals. The number one endorsed athlete at the Winter Olympics in 2018 was a gay athlete, Gus Kenworthy. Oh, how sports have changed, how sports have become more inclusive. The questions are always negative, negative, negative. And like I said, we have this study that's gonna come out. I don't know when, hopefully the spring or the summer, and it is going to prove that sports have changed and, and, and to continue to push this notion that sports are anti-gay or anti-lesbian is really, um, it, it is, you're not doing your job if, if that's how you continue to approach sports. You said earlier about that you had a, a story to tell, but I think one of, I think probably your proudest accomplishments over the years since I've is the opportunity to be able to help athletes tell their stories. And I think to a person, I don't 
ever recall reading any of your pieces that has that negative uh, effect after after they come out and they tell their stories. Um, if you know one, let jump in. But but my point was, uh, talk about some of that that you've done. You know, I know we know about uh, consulting with Mike Sam and a couple other folks. But you know, what are some of the more proud um, opportunities that you've had to help other people tell their stories? Well, to answer your question, yes, there have been a handful of athletes who felt that after they came out, uh, it was not as good as they had hoped. It is a tiny percentage, like 3%, 2%. But there have been a couple. Most of them, the vast majority, it's the same exact pattern. They were incredibly scared to come out to their teammates and their coaches because of some of the language that they heard from these very people. When they came out, they were overwhelmed by the support from the people around them. And their only regret was that they didn't do it sooner. And this pattern is incredibly consistent. Some of the ones that I'm you know, most proud of, gosh, I don't know, there've been so many. Like we just, on Monday, we had a U.S. speed skater. He won two U.S. championships last weekend. Uh, and then he decided to come out as gay. So we had his story, uh, Connor McDermott Mastoe, Ryan O'Callaghan, he was played for the Patriots on their almost undefeated season, uh, started in their 16-0 game. Uh, and, and his story is the best story I've ever told. I got to not just write his coming out story for Outsports, but also write his book, uh, My Life on the Line, how the NFL damn near killed me and ended up saving my life. And that's the best story I've ever read. That's, but, you know, writing a good story is having a good story to tell than telling it well. That story, Ryan's life story is unbelievable. That's awesome. You know, I asked you about being pigeonholed as a gay writer. Uh, have there any been, ever been any regret with some of these guys and gals of being pigeonholed or, you know, just being known as the gay athlete? Any of that? I don't know. I've never heard that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the fears that that's how they're going to be known. I think Michael Sam, that's how he's going to be known because, you know, it was, it was so, the story was so huge and because he didn't play in the NFL, he didn't ultimately play. So he may have some regret over that, but I don't really I don't, I don't think the other athletes have been pigeonholed that way. I mean, Robbie Rogers, when he came out in Major League Soccer, he went on to win an MLS Cup with the LA Galaxy. Uh, certainly, he might be known because he came out, but I don't know as the average fan thinks of him as the gay player. He was a good player. He won an MLS Cup. Yeah, and, and there's the flip side of it, which, you know, they become – I'm sure many of them known in specific circles to other gay athletes, younger athletes who are potentially looking up to them, potentially inspired to maybe be more, you know, do you see, where are you seeing the sort of second order consequences, benefits of this from now a generation that's coming up in college, seeing that this can, you can, you know, be out and everything can be better. How, how is that playing out for younger athletes? Our Tagline at Outsports is courage is contagious because we have found that every athlete who tells their story inspires somebody else to be their true selves. And take Robbie Rogers, for example, 
we have had probably dozens of athletes and not just in soccer who have said that Robbie Rogers story is what gave them the courage to come out. And, uh, you know, Hig Roberts was a, a U.S. skier who came out in December. He inspired Matt Rittenhouse, who was a U.S. speed skater, to come out on Outsports. And Matt Rittenhouse inspired Connor McDermott-Mastoe, uh, the kid who came out on Monday, to come out. And this domino effect is what we see over and over and over again. You could, I've wanted to build a tree of, of like... <laughs> who all these different people, you know, who've come out because of so-and-so. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's that, that is the most powerful thing. And that is why a lot of these athletes say they want to come out. They're very worried. Oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hear that I'm doing it for attention. That's not why I'm doing it. And most people understand that they're not, that they're doing it to try to help other people. That's great. Going back to, to your career, um, you know, how you got started. You've obviously found your calling and are, are living every moment of it. Um, you know, if, if again, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you left corporate America, uh, the corporate world. Um, you know, what, what gave you or, or led you to make the decision to, uh, to start out sports and, you know, kind of leave that life and do what you've been doing? There was nothing else like it. And we started in 1999 and we started it because there was, the idea of gay athletes or gay sports fans was just, uh, we, when I say it's not talked about, about much today, it was not talked about. It wasn't even considered in 1999. And so we just started doing it. You know, I was working at Disney in development. Jim Bozinski was an editor at the LA Times. And so we just did it. And we started finding this incredible community of sports fans and athletes and it's just grown and grown. And frankly, I'm really proud of what we've done. When I talk to people in other countries, so uh, um, I read an article from France yesterday, and, and they said that in the United States, there's this tidal wave of athletes coming out, but in France, it's not happening. And, and I think it's because of outsports, because we have been pushing these stories for 20 years. And France doesn't have a French outsports. I talked to John Holmes at Sky Sports in the UK. He and I met about five years ago. And he looked at what we were doing and the advances that we were having in sports. And he said, we're years behind you. How do I do this? And I said, you just got to start doing it. Just finding as many athletes and people in sports as you can, tell their stories. And now Sky Sports and John Holmes are really pushing uh, advancements along with a lot of nonprofits in the UK and the UK is starting to the sports world is starting to catch up to where the United States has been. The United States is leading the world in LGBTQ acceptance in sports. And, 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 you know, I'm pretty self critical. I think a huge part of it is because of outsports and because we have something that's respected by the rest of the media that is telling these stories on a daily basis. Have you ever had, I mean, it sounds like these are the conversations you're already having lean in this direction, but ever had more formal thoughts or conversations about how you could take what you're doing here and expand it into those other markets? We do. We, we cover those other places. We've had athletes come out in other countries just on a, on a, on a daily basis. A lot of what we do is focused on the United States and, and some of Canada. And I think part of it is just a financial 
part. I mean, the, the American audience is much easier to sell to American corporations than a Swedish sure. audience. So, it's, yeah, uh, no, it's, I, I think what's interesting to me is is somewhat the specific model you you know and the success you're having without sports. And I know some of that from an advertising and cultural standpoint. Some of those markets may just lag behind in terms of willingness to, you know, advertise, you know, like just cultural stigmas in different markets. But even just the model you're building more broadly, you've built more broadly as a for-profit media entity that's making real cultural change. I just, you know, I think that that's, this is an area of impact. It's something I, I, I just almost see you in, in the same vein as some of the people who built very successful political action, software companies and other technology companies really coming out of things like, you know, Obama in 2008. I, you know, I, I'm just well, curious well, where, you know, where you, you, how you can take this, you know, bigger or, or people you can work with to scale some of your learnings into other cultural impact areas. I don't, I'll stop. I'm, I'm just sort of, it's, it's praise. I assure you, Sid, it's me going, this is, this is revolutionary in certain ways, what you're saying, what you're talking about. We work, we work with people this, you know? all over the world all the time. And we are blessed, really blessed that the people at Vox Media and SB Nation value out sports for its impact on culture. And we are really lucky that we have the support that we do because I know we, we get some important resources we get the attention of the company they support what we're doing and i truly i think without vox media we would not be where we are today yeah I, I, you know and it's i'm trying to think of other areas where somebody you know you were you talked about it before you were in in an area so early you know to see where things are now and i know there's you know a long way still to get but like what were there key moments along the way inflection points moments of having started this in 99 to where we are today that are particularly sort of resonant with you or you still stick with you today if i remember when this happened this was the like an inflection point but for i'll you tell know. you the most important one of our 21 years to me when the light bulb went off and it was john amici was a, a mostly journeyman NBA player. He was in the NBA for maybe eight years, something like that. He was a British guy. And he came out publicly in 27, 2007. And <clears throat> Scottie Pippen and LeBron James offered, you know, mostly words of support, but tepid words of support. And a week later, I think it was on Valentine's Day, Tim Hardaway NBA all-star, one of the greats of all time, got on a radio show, Dan Lebetard, I think it was, and said, um, oh, no, I'm not having a gay teammate. I hate gay people. And to watch the reaction from the sports world, to watch the sports world embrace this gay journeyman player and banish a, a beloved player to the point where he had to remove his name from the businesses that he owned. He was removed from the NBA all-star game. He was fired from his coaching position. That moment told me something has shifted because 
that was that was the reaction was shocking to me that that this guy was being embraced and this guy was canceled truly canceled on the uh, financial side at what point was the tipping point where you thought and i think you've been doing what you've been doing longer than any of our guests have uh, to date. I think 99 is, is our oldest blogger uh, that we've spoken with. Um, and again, it, it wasn't what it even was in 2007. Um, you know, at what point uh, did you realize that this would be your career or could be your career? 2003, somewhere around there that we had our, our traffic continued to increase. We started making some money and it, it was just clear that this world was ripe for the taking. And so, you know, we started building partnerships with different organizations. Um, we, you know, joined a, a, a bloggers ad network and started making some real money. And, and so it was, it was back then, uh, I, I would say, again, when Vox acquired us, that elevated even more where, okay, now we're not just this gay website, we're part of a sports entity, a media entity. Mm-hmm. And that was real validation. You know, we had been toying with being acquired, but most all of the people who were interested, expressed interest, were LGBTQ media entities. And I'm really glad that that's not the direction we went because I think we've been able to have greater impact being part of a broader non-LGBTQ sports entity. I want to talk a little bit about moving forward, but I want to stay in 99 for now. Uh, I think uh, we've mentioned Dreamweaver on a couple different episodes. What was the software that you were publishing on back in 99? We were going to go with that one or front page. And from everything that I read, front page was easier to use. So we just went with that one. We didn't really care what it looked like, <laughs> we didn't know what it would look like. If I remember correctly, Dreamweaver was good at Bobby have look a little better, but we were like, we don't care. We just want to write whatever we want to write. The good old days. <laughs> oh, man. That was brutal. Yeah. I'd say working with Vox Media's chorus is a lot nicer. Yeah. yeah. I remember Trey was tinkering with that for some time now. That was uh, his game changer. Uh, Brundrette. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. That was his baby. Um, as a brand, um, you stick a lot to obviously writing, uh, you know, probably a little audio video here. I mean, it, I think Kyle kind of scratched the surface on becoming kind of a tech company and something larger, but even for like multimedia purposes and OTT and, you know, uh, the channels and the opportunities. I know Vox certainly, uh, you know, has dipped its toe into, into that and different partnerships. Um, you know, is there an opportunity or a vision to, take this offline uh, and, and, you know, onto TVs and, you know, in different places like that. Yeah. We've talked about that with, with different places. Uh, you know, we're always looking to develop new projects that we're having conversations with somebody now. Um, you know, we do have podcasts. We have a daily podcast on Outsports and each day attack with something different. I'm on Mondays. I talk about um, Olympics, LGBTQ stuff in and around the Olympics. So 
Uh, it could be why we shouldn't boycott the Olympics in Beijing due to human rights or uh, just athletes coming out or just gold medalists talking about their experiences coming out, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for different opportunities. Like I said, I've written a couple of books. I like the process of writing. It is my favorite thing to sit down and craft something with words and take my time. That, that's my favorite thing. I mean, I, I like to talk too, but writing, writing's my favorite. Writing is what I get excited about in the morning. Nice. Uh, question two about the balance, and maybe it's shifted from the beginning of the site. Um, but when you hear gay sports, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier about there's the gay fan, and then there's the gay athlete. What's the balance been between being this is the fan experience, and this is the, you know, that's the storytelling advocacy part that it's, you know, that we know it as? That is such a great question, because at the very beginning, Outsports was 100% focused on the fans. We would, just, we would just write NFL stories from a gay perspective, and sometimes it was just, just analysis of why the Chiefs beat the Patriots. Or how is, what, is, what would you describe a, a gay perspective of a game analysis? It was just, it was just a gay man writing it. And sometimes, you know, you know like, we mentioned, you know, and every time we'd mentioned Ed McCaffrey, we'd have to, you know, say something about him being the most beautiful man. <laughs> in I mean, that would definitely weave its way into what we wrote for sure. I remember we had a, we had a daily item. I think it was daily or weekly called tops and bottoms. And the top was who did well in sports and the bottoms was who didn't. And after a couple of years, people started coming after us saying, why are you saying that tops are good and bottoms are bad? I'm like, no, we're just trying to have fun with it. But ultimately we had to get rid of it because, you know, people got upset and, yeah. So, <laughs> so, anyhow, so, so how we, oh, go ahead, Sid, go ahead. But, but over the years we have completely shifted more toward advocacy and focusing on the LGBTQ athletes and coaches. And we've been talking recently about returning more to that sports fan we do have ken schultz writes a bunch of baseball for us um but we've talked about maybe trying to focus again more on the sports fans how as you described some of yeah uh i mean you're talking to the blogs with balls guys so you know we we know you know from from it puns that then uh also you know shape who the brand is and who you get to work with obviously over time as you've um, you know, moved into all these different territories, gotten to be very impact oriented and the world and the way that brands interact with that has changed. And a lot of brands want to be, be out there more. How has that, how has that impacted who you work with from some of those big corporate partners who have come knocking on your door? I don't want to be barstool. That is the last thing on earth I want to be. Maybe, the, I don't know, maybe the second or third last thing on earth I want to be. I don't want to be the gay barstool. Um, you know, I, I would much rather be, um, you know, the gay Sports Illustrated or the gay New York Times. I'd, I'd rather really do some good, solid work that when I die, I can be proud of. And entertaining people is absolutely something to be proud of. But, you know, while we joke about, you know, people getting upset about tops and bottoms, you know, would I really on my deathbed be proud of that? I don't think so. 
It served its purpose at a time. You know, back in the early 2000s, we really wanted to push buttons. We wanted to push buttons with people across sports and say, no, we can be really gay. I used to use the F word on radio. Uh, can I, so I have a kind of a story to tell. Can I say it on this podcast? Yeah, we got, we got the little E next door. Our show. You're good. So I used to do a thing on Fox Sports Radio called Sid's Fag Five. In 2002, I would pick five NFL games against the spread every week. And it would be a little bit of analysis and it would be, you know, mentioning, you know, somebody's ass. Uh, and, and so, and it was fun, and, but it was pushing people's buttons. Today, you know, that kind of pushing people's buttons, I'll leave to Barstool. And I'd rather do what we're doing. And said, I know you have a hard stop coming up. So I want to, I want to wrap up a bit, but speaking about pushing buttons, one of my favorite lines from any blogs with balls was, uh, I believe it was number six when you're on the NFL panel and you said, you know, uh, Cam Newton is a petulant child, right? It's always kind of stuck with me. That was just my favorite line. Anytime I see Cam Newton, I'm like, look at that petulant child. Um, Blogs of balls. Uh, you know, you came up to Toronto, um, you know, came out to Chicago a couple of times. Uh, we kind of like to just get some perspective. Um, you know, what was your, you know, whether at the time or in retrospect, uh, you know, feelings about the event itself and, and the people that were there? Again, a great question. First of all, I felt really welcomed. I really got a lot out of it. I listened to a lot of people. I met some great people. You know, uh, Jamel Hill and Sarah Spain, and you got to meet some great people. Um, on the flip side, and I was just talking to somebody about this today, every time, how can I say this? Sports spaces that are dominated by men are dominated by male culture. And it's lots of beer and it's flannel shirts and me walking in or a woman walking in. We don't feel 100% comfortable. We don't. And, and well, I, I think I don't think I think it was completely welcomed there. But the, the 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 environment is really hard to build an environment that isn't dominated by straight cis male culture. Uh, when that's the vast majority of people there. So, you know, whether it's uh, a high school officiating locker room or, and this isn't, this isn't just blogs with balls at all. This is, this is every environment. And I think that's one of the things that keeps women and gay men away from sports is this not, not outright homophobia, just this overall feeling of, straight dudes and it's really hard to figure out how to tamp that down um and i'm not even saying that anybody should it's just that i to me that is more what keeps people away and drives people away not the outright homophobia, but the constant reminder that you are in a straight dude space. Yeah. And I think that comes with sports in general, right? Um, 100%. So yeah, be, being where we are. And I mean, that's something we tried to, um, you know, at the beginning, again, it was just kind of like, what the hell do we have here? And then, you know, even in New York, uh, you know, the, the Bloomberg one, it was having the women's panel, right? The women talk sports panel. And then, you know, trying to wedge these social issues. So I think a sense of pride that I have at least is, um, 
in the fact that those rooms were dominated by the, you know, cis white males that, that you described, we're kind of forcing them to listen to, you know, you and Christina and, you know, uh, Mike Tillery uh, talking about race and really pushing these issues to the forefront. And, um, you know, it's hard to get out of it. I think the other, the other thing is, you know, most of our sponsors were sponsors that wanted to reach, um, male, uh, straight male audiences. Uh, and so when we're having events that, you know, liquor folks are, are pouring money into try to, you know, allow us to do it. Uh, I think sometimes even the social stuff gets skewed because we're trying to, you know, kind of make everybody happy. But yeah, I think that's, it's totally fair. And I think that's a, um, you know, uh, uh, an offset of sports itself, but, you know, hopefully, uh, we, we tried our best to at least steer the conversation into a more inclusive one. You absolutely did. Don't get me wrong. This no, is no, I, criticism. This is, for sure. is an observation. And I felt completely welcome. I felt completely comfortable, completely safe. Uh, I, people wanted to talk to me. Like it was a very positive. I, I came back. Right. So, yeah. A couple uh, times. It, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, it was very positive. It's just, that's on my mind because somebody yep. else literally just asked me about this yesterday. Um, and it's really tough. I don't know. I don't, if I, if I held, if we hold the Outsports Pride every year. It's an LGBTU sports event. A straight guy walking in that's going to say, what the hell? Is well, if you recall, we tried to do this and then it got canceled. Philadelphia. That's right. In Philadelphia. Yeah. Philadelphia. We're going to, we're going to partner up with that. Hopefully when the world gets back to being the world we knew, if it can, uh, you know, we'll try that again. Yeah. But Sid, what, what do you have going on? We know how we have this study coming out. Any other projects that we can look forward to? You know, just focusing a lot on the trans issues, continuing to tell, we've got tons, dozens of stories of athletes coming out, all different kinds of sports. We're really ramping that up. Um, and, and, you know, again, hopefully, uh, hopefully being able to host events again. That would be really nice. You know, Kyle, Kyle and I joke every week about taking this when we finish up because we want to just keep going with the conversation to Clubhouse. But maybe that's a good kind of outside game, out sports uh, conversation about trans issues and different things that are that are over there. That might that might be the one that we actually buckle up and do it for, Kyle. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. We know tons of trans athletes. Awesome. Well, absolutely. Sid, thank you again. Thank you always for joining us, your time, uh, you know, giving us uh, some great insight and also your friendship over the years. Look forward to really, and I mean it, you know, doing some collaborative stuff moving forward. I'm Dom Povia. That's Kyle Bunch. And our guest this week, Sid Ziegler. We'll see you later. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sid.